Thanks for listening to the Voice Church Podcast. We are a new life-giving multi-ethnic church located in Orange County, California. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Tustin. For more information, check out our social media or our website at www.voice.church. And now, let's tune in to this week's message. So, so, so good to be with you today. The Star Wars question, there's a purpose for that. We'll get into it in just a moment. Um, if you guys haven't met me, my name's Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Voice Church. And um, oh, thank you. This is the friendliest church I've ever been to, just so you guys know. You guys are so kind. Uh, we're, we're in a series right now called This Is The Way, uh, which comes out of a, a Star Wars-based television show called The Mandalorian. Taka does a great job every week of recapping. I, I don't know if I know the whole recap, but um, I'm actually, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Um, going back to like my youngest days, how, how many of you guys are legit like, I love Star Wars? How many in the room? A few? Not that many. Oh, wow. Okay. How many of you guys are like, I've never seen Star Wars and I don't care to ever see a Star Wars movie? <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll, I'll pray for you guys. Um, any, anybody who can do a killer Chewbacca imitation that just wants to let it out right now? Anybody? I heard it. What was that? One more time. <laughs> was that you, Venus, back there? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. It's one of like the saddest things and I've, I've tried for years and I just cannot pull out the Chewbacca impression. But um, one, of my, one of my earliest core memories, um, you know, it, it, this could be one of those things that I've sort of created in my brain because I've thought about it so much, but I was born in, in 1976 and Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie came out in 1978. So I would have been like two, you know, three years old. And I'll never forget this. I, I, I kid you not, I have a memory of seeing Star Wars that young. We went to the drive-in movies where, you know, you'd like drive up in your car and, and watch them. Do, do drive-in movies exist anymore? Is, isn't there one like in Riverside or? Yeah, like, and back in these days, they would actually give you this awkward speaker. You kind of hang it on inside your, your car and for the audio and that kind of thing. And I, I remember being really little at the drive-in movies, and uh, spoiler alert, watching the Death Star explode, right? You've had since 1978, though, so it's not that big of a spoiler. But it's like lodged in my brain. I saw that happen at that young age. So Star Wars is just kind of like ingrained. You know, and then I got into when my kids were little, the, the prequel movies came out. I thought Jar Jar Binks was hilarious. I don't know why everybody disliked him so much. Disney obviously has put out a ton of content. Some of it I love, some I don't love as much. We could talk about that later for you guys who are Star Wars fans. Um, but in the show, The Mandalorian, which we've been talking about, they have a saying. I would call it a creed, right? Where they say, this is the way. They say it to one another, right? They've, they've committed themselves to a certain way of life. This is what we believe and this is how we practice the things we believe. This is the way. Um, we would call that a creed, right? I live according to this saying. Did you know there's actually several creeds in the Bible? Maybe we don't think about them that way, but um, just a few examples, actually going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, God gave 
uh, a creed, basically, to the nation of Israel. It's called the Shema in Hebrew, which literally means listen or hear. This is important. Listen to this saying. You've probably heard it before if you've been in church. Uh, it basically says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. All right, this is a, a saying that's repeated to this day. Uh, by Jewish people as they rise in the morning, when they go to bed at night. Um, it's become an important mantra or, or creed for them, right? It's repeated faithfully. In the New Testament, there are creeds that are recorded for the church, right? Um, just a couple small examples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, uh, he says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Okay, so he's like, I received this saying as an important thing that we're gonna recite together as the, you know, as the people of Jesus, and I'm gonna pass it on to you. This is important. And you know, theologians say this was an early creed of the church. It says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. You know, the idea there is the death, the atoning death, and the resurrection of Jesus, that miraculous resurrection from the dead, they kind of form the core, right, of a lot of what we hold dear and, and what we believe as Christians. In Romans 10, Paul has another just short creed that he shares with us. He says, that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare, so here it is, here's the words of the creed, that Jesus is Lord. There it is, right? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Again, the resurrection, you will be saved, right? So the early church was known for repeating this creed, Jesus is Lord. He is king. The evil forces of this world did, the, did their worst to him. They tried to stop him. They, they killed him, and yet they couldn't overcome him. And now he is enthroned King of kings, Lord of lords, coming again to rule and reign in righteousness. All of those things. So they kind of summed that up in this short saying, Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord over our lives today. One more kind of interesting example. This isn't a creed as much as it's just kind of like a interesting tidbit of church history. I, I try to be really short with this stuff. Jenny always reminds me, other people are not as interested in church history as you are but it's kind of one of those things I like to geek out on. You guys, you guys have seen the Jesus fish, right? I think we have an image of it. Like back in the 80s, 90s, everybody put the Jesus fish on their car. You know, you guys have probably seen, there it is, the Jesus fish, and it has these Greek letters inside of it. And you might wonder like, what does a fish have to do with being a Christian? Like why put that on your car? What are the Greek letters? You know, the, the, the letters inside, um, actually, when you pronounce them, they spell the word ichthus, which is the Greek word for fish. So you have a picture of a fish with the word fish inside. But if you take each of those letters and you make them into an acronym, it comes out Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So again, this was a symbol of the early church saying, we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is our Savior. And actually, maybe you've heard this. It's believed that the, the church used this 
as a secret way of communicating with one another that they were believers during times of persecution. Right? So as the Romans were particularly heavily persecuting this new, you know, uh, a group calling themselves the people of the way, the followers of, of Jesus, oh, if, you were a, if you were a Christian and you went into a new town and you're trying to find out, you're not quite sure you want to be real open and vocal about, I follow Jesus, because it could lead to some serious trouble for you, right? But let's say you're talking to someone on the road, talking to someone on the way, what people would do, you notice how the, the fish is basically two lines, two arcs, right? One at the top, one at the bottom. They would take their foot and you would draw that first arc in the dirt with your foot. So it might look like you were just kind of, you know, having a conversation and you take that, your foot and you just kind of make a line. For someone who didn't know uh, about this symbol, they might just ignore that. But if someone was also a follower of Jesus, they would take their foot and they would make the other line, the other arc, so you two together would create that fish as a way of saying, yes, I follow Jesus as well. Interesting, right? And then you could ask them, well, where can I meet in, with you in town? Where can I meet and gather with other believers? So there's those interesting little creeds and symbols of the early church. But Jesus also gave us a prayer. And that's what I wanna talk with you guys about for a little bit today. We often call it the Lord's Prayer. How many of you guys grew up in like a traditional church context where you maybe recited the Lord's Prayer? Any of you guys were familiar with that? Yeah, you'd, you'd say it, you'd speak it out loud regularly in church. I remember for a few years, my family went to a Presbyterian church, kind of more traditional. And I remember as a kid, you know, we would, the kids would often sit in the, um, the adult services, you know, and I would be on the floor playing with those hymnals or those weird little half pencils that they would put there, the little offering envelopes, you know, trying to keep my brain entertained while all this stuff was going on that I didn't quite understand. But I remember very specifically that we, they would, everyone would stand up and you would recite the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, kind of in that old King James English Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, all of that. So some of you guys are probably familiar with this prayer, even if subconsciously, like, yeah, I've heard that many times. No, we believe that a big part of following the way of Jesus, right, is being a people of prayer, being a people who commit themselves to pray. But, but let's be honest about something. Prayer is, is hard, it can be difficult, right? There's so many things in our lives. There's so many things that want to come in. Even in a moment, I know for me, oftentimes in a moment where I'm going to, okay, I'm just going to go pray, you know, and I have a little spot in my backyard and I drink a cup of coffee and pray. Some days, man, it's awesome. Other times, man, all this stuff just wants to infiltrate, right? Infiltrate that focus. My mind wants to wander in so many different directions. And I know as a follower of Jesus, I've been called to pray, but man, that can be hard. We live in a world of, of instant gratification, right? Like you can literally open your phone and have anything delivered to you probably within an hour or two. Like people are doing that with cars now, you know, like, oh, I, want, I need a new car. I'm just going to go on the app, pay for it. They deliver it to your house kind of a thing, right? And, and that's not how prayer often works, Right? There are the miraculous moments of maybe an answer to prayer in a moment of crisis, but there's also that laboring in prayer. Jesus actually said, ask, seek, and knock. Right? Ask, 
and the door will be open. Seek and you shall find. Knock, it will be open to you. But the Greek words there are a continual practice. Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. And perseverance in prayer is one of the most difficult things about it. And yet it's so important for us. It's so formational for us when we continually commit ourselves um, to align our heart with God's. And Jesus gave us this prayer, I believe as a, as a template, as a way that we can pray the way he wants us to pray in a sense. I'm not saying this is the only way to pray or this is, this is the way you have to do it, but I think this prayer is so helpful. I've used it for years in my own prayer life and it's been such a blessing to me, especially in those moments where my mind wants to kind of ping pong to so many things. It helps me center, it helps me focus. So I wanted to just kind of walk through it with you guys for a few minutes um, here this morning. The prayer actually appears in two places in the gospels, in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter six. Um, the Luke 11 version is a little bit shorter actually, but I wanna start there. We'll, we'll kind of bring in a few things from, from Matthew's gospel as well as we're kind of walking through this. Because it's interesting how, how it gets introduced in Luke's gospel. It says, one day Jesus was praying, so he was off praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So we know from the gospels, Jesus prayed often. You know, we see a very public ministry where Jesus was out healing, preaching, you know, doing all the things, the miracles that he performed. And yet we also see so many times where he retreated to be alone, to spend time with the father, right? To get his, to keep his heart in tune with God. Isn't that amazing that like, there's a mystery in that God in human flesh also then communing with his father in heaven, you know? But prayer was such a key part of Jesus's life and ministry. And his disciples were finally like, we wanna do that too. Like teach us, they're basically saying, teach us to be like you, teach us to pray like you. How do you commune with the father? Give us a way that we can do that as well. And it says, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and this is that short version from Luke's gospel, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So I think there's really five lines there, you know, and we're gonna spend a brief moment on each one of those lines. It starts off, our Father in heaven, and Matthew's gospel adds in a little bit more, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, or hallowed be thy name, right? So the prayer begins, think about this, what does that mean, holy is your name? It's, it's worship in a sense, right? Because you're saying, God, holy is your name. But it's also a reprioritizing of our lives. To say that God is holy, holiness really means set apart, right? It means over and above. This is what matters most, right? There's so many things that are vying for our attention, for our priorities. And the prayer begins by saying, God, you take precedence over everything. You first in my life. The, the prayer begins by placing our priorities in order. You know, I think for all of us, whether you 
you know, just have gotten involved with following Jesus in the past month, or you've been following Jesus for decades in your life, one of the struggles we all face is getting our, constantly our priorities getting out of whack, right? Because our flesh, ourselves, always want to come in and say, I'm really what matters most. It's all about me. This is my life. This is what I want. And this prayer begins by saying, God, you first. I want your will above all else. Holy is your name. You are what matters most. So it begins in worship and then setting those priorities. Then it says, your kingdom come. Matthew's gospel adds in the famous line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So think about it this way, right? What does that mean? Your kingdom come, you will be done, earth as in heaven. Some people like saints who have prayed this prayer before have thought, well, that just means you're, you know, you're looking forward to, to one day going to heaven when you die and you're just like, I hope it happens, right? But I, I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. When Jesus went, went around preaching that the kingdom of God had come, had arrived, he meant now, now, right? Like through me, God's kingdom has arrived. If you think of heaven as sort of God's space and earth as our space, you're praying that those two things would come together and, and overlap, that heaven and earth would come together in a meaningful way. At our, our small group on Friday night, we watched a really good Bible project video about heaven and earth. We don't have time to watch it this morning, but I would recommend you do. And it showed how like heaven was blue and earth was red, I think. And the two come together to make these purple dots, you know, kind of a thing. It was a really interesting visual of what we're praying for when we say, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as in heaven. And this for me is a moment to really reflect on that. Like, what are the areas in my life where I need heaven's wisdom, where I need heavenly blessing, where I need God to come and just invade a situation, right? Whether it's a, something I'm struggling with personally, whether it's you know, a relationship that's strained, whether it's just a situation where I have a, a decision to make, where I have no clue what to do, I'm going, Lord, let your kingdom come. That you will be done on earth as in heaven. This can be big picture kind of things too, you know? Uh, we look around at the world and we say, man, there is so much mess. There's so much chaos. I think of what's going on in Israel these past couple days. And I think I don't have the words other than lament at this point, you know, to say, here's what I'm praying for. Of course, we want the release of captives. You know, we want peace. We want an end to violence and suffering and all those things. But more than anything, I'm just, I'm just praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. You're the one who knows what to do in this situation. You're the one who can bring true and lasting peace. You're the one who can bring your kingdom to earth. So we pray that, let your kingdom come. Third line of the prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Now I'm guessing for most, if not all of us in this room, we rarely have to worry about where our, our next meal is coming from. You know, there, there's rarely a day that goes by. It's possible, you know, but, but there's rarely a day for many of us where we're like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna have enough to eat today, you know? So it'd be easy to take that, that line, right? Give us this day our daily bread and just kind of gloss over it. Yeah, I'm good, I'm taken care of, you know, kind of a thing. But for me, this is a moment also to stop and show gratitude, right? For those things that God just consistently does on a regular basis that I often don't even acknowledge, right? That consistent, like, 
care and sustenance and goodness that's poured out, everything we have being a gift from above, right? To stop and say, man, thank you, God. Thank you for providing. But it's also a moment for us to say, Lord, I also need spiritual sustenance as well. Jesus actually, in John's gospel says, I am the bread of life, right? And he meant literally, I will come and feed your spirit. I will feed your soul. I will sustain you. And so for me, this is also a moment if I'm about, let's say I'm about to open up the scriptures to say, God, I need some daily bread. I need to hear from you. I need to know what your priorities are. I need to hear your voice speaking into my life. Would you come and give me that daily bread? But there's also a moment here for us to say, this is a key word, think about it. The prayer isn't give me, right? And a lot of these lines are similar to this. Give me this day my daily bread, right? It's give who? Us. So here's a moment where we can stop and pull back and say, who is the us in this situation? Who is the us that I can pray for as I'm pondering this? What are the tangible ways that I can reach out to those maybe who do face difficult times when it comes to just providing for themselves, providing for their families in my sphere of influence? It could be practical needs, you know, food, clothing, shelter. It could be as simple as reaching out to a friend who needs that word of encouragement. Going, man, I, God sustained me with this word. I want to give you a little bit of that, that daily bread as well. You know, or it's a time for us to stop and say, what are the bigger picture things where, man, I can provide clean water. You know, we've been partnering with World Vision to do that these last few years. How can I provide clean water for those who need it around the world? How can I partner with organizations like Young Lives who are, you know, I can buy a blanket for a a young family that needs that. Those types of things, right, where we can stop and reflect. And in all these lines, and I'll keep saying this, as I'm doing that, God begins to speak. As I take each line and I meditate upon each line and I stop and I ponder, the Lord begins to speak to me. Here are the ways. Here are the moments. Here are the things specifically where this can be applied. Next line, number four, says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Walking in that daily posture of forgiveness is a huge part of what it means to follow Jesus. I think there's, some, there's a, an important piece of context to put in here um, for those who might think, oh man, well, God doesn't forgive us. I have to constantly ask for that. And if I don't forgive, that means I'm not forgiven or something like that. I think Paul clarifies this for us really well in the book of Ephesians. You know, uh, he's sort of looking back on the finished work of the cross, on what Jesus accomplished. Jesus is still at a moment where that hadn't happened yet when he's giving this prayer, right? And in in Ephesians 4, Paul kind of looks back on everything that Jesus accomplished to secure forgiveness, to secure our salvation. And here's what he says. We'll have it up on the screen for you guys. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And he says, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, he says, look back on the fact that your sins have been forgiven and now walk in that posture, in that attitude, in that heart of forgiveness as well. That's the call, right? And, and the reality is this, forgiven people forgive. Those who understand that they've been forgiven can then turn around 
and forgive others. I'll never forget, this was a number of years ago now. Um, there was a, a, a shooting in a church. I don't know if you guys remember this story. It was a predominantly black church, and they were actually there. Uh, it was a prayer meeting, right? The people were gathered to pray with one another, and a deranged you know, young man walked in and, and shot a bunch of people. And it was just one of those moments as a nation where we grieved. As, you know, as believers, I was like, oh, man, Lord, how long? How many times is this going to happen? It's, it, it just it was so hard, so hurtful. But I'll never forget watching, you know, so they had the trial. Um, the young man was found guilty. And they had the, the sentencing after where family members can then get up and say what they want to say to this person who's been convicted, right? And man, this just wrecked me when I saw it. it. One by one, the family members of the people who had been killed got up and looked at this young man and said, I forgive you. They didn't say no justice or, you know, that uh, you don't deserve what's coming your way as far as, you know, you know, being punished for this crime. But they said, I, in my heart, I forgive you. And their reasoning was, my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, whoever it was, they followed Jesus. And they would have wanted me to forgive you. Therefore, I forgive you. And for me, man, that was just like a radical moment where you see the beauty of forgiveness. But really, they were patterning their lives on Jesus, right? You think about Jesus on the cross as he's being mocked and beaten, literally tortured to death. And there's that moment where he cries out, Father, forgive them, right? They don't know what they're doing. He's literally interceding for those in that moment. It's radical. It's powerful when we see that. But let's be honest for a minute. When I see that happen in other situations, I'm like blown away by it. But then it comes to me, right? And that's where things get a little bit more difficult. There's a couple quotes from C.S. Lewis on forgiveness that have always kind of stuck with me. I wanted to share them with you guys. Because this is what I kind of go back to when I'm, when I'm really battling that lack of forgiveness. Number one, he says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, right? You understand, like, there's things in me that there's no excuse for that I've done, right? And so why do I then hold someone else to that standard? It's radical, it's powerful, but it's hard, you know? This is a, one, one more quote from C.S. Lewis. We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. That's where the rubber hits the road and where things get tough. Most of us, if we're being honest, I'm sure, right, have some person, some situation where we really struggle to forgive. Some wounds are so deep and raw, it is just really tough. And if we meditate upon it long enough, we could get right back in that mode of unforgiveness. We don't want to let that person off the hook. We don't want to let them go free in our own hearts, right? I've had that many times. You know, in a, at a previous church I was at, I had a situation where there was a, an older man who really just seemed to like want to make it difficult for me to minister, like literally stand in the way of me doing what God had called me to do in, in the church. And like almost every week there was something to disrupt or kind of bring a word of discouragement or whatever. And I was like, man, I ended up leaving that situation 
uh, for a number of reasons, not just that. But it was crazy because in the next like six months, I saw him everywhere I would go. Like legit, like I'm riding my bike and there he is walking with his wife down the street toward me, you know? I guess we frequented the same Costco and I would like be like, you know, doing the Costco thing, waiting for a free sample or whatever. And I look over, there he was, you know? And I'll be honest with you guys, the best I could do in that situation was walk away, right? Like I wasn't ready to be like, hi, how are you? You know, like do the fake thing or whatever. So I was like, Lord, the most Christ-like thing I can do right now is to pretend like I didn't see him and go the other direction, right? And to this day, to be honest with you guys, if I sit and meditate upon it, if I, if I, if I bring out my list of grievances, right, um, I can, I can kind of stir that up again. And I'm sure many of you guys would hear those things and go, yeah, what a jerk, you know? I mean, it, it's just, that's the way he was, right? But I've learned holding on to that does me absolutely no good. There's nothing good about holding on to bitterness. There's nothing good or virtuous about saying, I'm gonna let this anger and this rage consume me. All those negative emotions, they will never lead to anything good. They will never bring about the fruit of the spirit, right? Here's the thing too, forgiving others might look like a posture of weakness to the world around us. How could you let that go, right? How could you release that person in your heart? Look what they did to you. But the reality is this, there's power in forgiveness. Because you're saying, I'm not going to let this control me. I'm not going to let this negativity consume my life. I'm releasing that person. And you know what else it is? It's an act of faith. Because you're saying, God, I trust that you are taking care of me, that you are going to do what is right. You know better than I do what should happen in this situation. So I'm committing it over to you. That's not at all me saying, allow yourself to be victimized or put yourself in a situation, you know, where someone can just walk all over you. Not at all. But I'm talking about the repercussions, the after the fact, right? When you're going back and dealing with those things. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Jesus gave us that line of the prayer to free us so that we might then live out the rest of these things that God is calling us to do. The last one, lead us not into temptation. And then Matthew's gospel adds in, but deliver us from evil. Key takeaway here for me is this. None of us are perfect. We all have areas of weakness. It's a sobering assessment of our own humanity when we recite that part of the prayer. God, keep me away from those things that I could fall into. Keep me away from those behaviors and attitudes that want to consume my life, right? And this is a moment for us to say, God, I need you once again, right? I need your power and your strength to overcome those battles that I face. Maybe that no one else sees those battles in my own mind, those battles in my own heart that I'm fighting every day, those temptations that are in front of me. God, would you come and deliver me out of those things? You know, Paul said something really interesting when he was talking about this battle he was facing at some point. He said, I look to God, right? And I pray for his strength because I can be weak when I'm, I can be strong when I'm weak, right? There's strength in my weakness. And the point is not, oh good, I'm so glad that I'm weak in this area. The point is now I'm praying for God's spirit to fill that void. 
And the strength that you're going to get from that is stronger than the best you could ever do on your best day. So when there's weakness, there's strength because God's power is present. And that's what this part of the prayer is about. Do not lead us into that temptation. Deliver us from those evil things. And some of the more, you know, uh, the older translations, King James, you guys have probably heard it. It ends kind of with a line of worship, the prayer, uh, Lord's Prayer, where it says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, So that's kind of the prayer, right? That's each line of the prayer. And I really believe this is the sort of prayer, just to to wrap up this morning, uh, the worship band can probably head up here at at any time. But this is a prayer that leads to action. You know, this is not just a prayer that focuses on my needs, although there's moments there where we can pray for those things. It's not just a moment where we're like, God, would you do this for me? Would you do this? Would you do this? But it's, it's getting our priorities straight. And when we do that, that's going to affect the way we live. It's a moment where we're saying, God, bring your kingdom down to earth. And as you do that and God begins to speak into your heart, those ways where heaven and earth can come together, that's going to affect your actions. Give us this day our daily bread. You're going to be looking around for opportunities for God to use you to bring that sustenance, that blessing that someone else needs, whether it's physically or spiritually. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm walking in a posture of daily forgiveness. Maybe I'm battling it every day. Maybe every moment I have to, every morning I have to wake up and again, give that forgiveness issue over to the Lord. But we do it again and again. And over time, God's spirit is working in our hearts. And the next time I run into that guy in Costco, I'm hoping that there's gonna be more love for him, that there's gonna be more understanding, that there's gonna be a spirit-empowered way of looking at him that's going to give me opportunity to minister and not just walk away. Lead us not into temptation. This is a moment for us to say, God, empower me. I know I'm weak. I know my humanity, my flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. Your spirit is good. And I need you to come down and give me that strength to overcome. So we're going to close in, in prayer. And we'll, we'll use this prayer just for a moment here as our, our template this morning as we close out. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, how holy is your name. God, help us to prioritize our lives in such a manner that you take precedence over everything else, that your priorities, that what matters to you matters to us. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, in the ways we need to see you work, and each one of us probably has something in our lives where we're like, yeah, I need heavenly blessing. I need God's strength. I need God to, to, to carry me through this difficult season. I need heaven to come to earth. I pray that you would begin to speak to us, Lord, on how you would want that to happen and for us to follow. Give us this day our daily bread. God, we thank you We have so much to be grateful for. So many ways that you take care of us, that you sustain us day after day, Lord. All those things that we have as an abundance and an overflow of just your goodness. We thank you for that. We thank you for speaking to us through the scriptures. We thank you for giving us your spirit 
to speak into our hearts. We pray that we could then think about who that us would be in our lives. How can I then help sustain others? Forgive us our sins, God, as we forgive those who sin against us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace and forgiveness. Thank you for reconciliation between us and you, Lord. Thank you that every sin, past, present, future, has been done away with through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And now help us to walk in that posture of forgiveness, to soak that in in such a deep way that when we look at those around us, forgiveness begins to flow out of our lives as well. And lead us not into temptation, God, deliver us from evil. God, we are weak, but we need your strength. Would you fill us up with that strength? Would you empower us, God, to overcome the ways that the enemy wants to just to just lodge us into the ground, Lord. Would you lift us up into the heavenlies that we might be given that strength in our weakness. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's worship. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message at Voice Church. We hope it inspired you to live a life more faithfully for Jesus and to be a voice of hope for your community. We'd love for you to join us in person on a Sunday. And until then, we hope you have a beautiful week.